you can see it starts not with a subscription. It starts with having this very, very concentrated feeling about what are these core features that are going to appeal to how I position the company. Hey, everyone, I'm Mark Randolph, and welcome to That Will Never Work. On this podcast, I speak with folks who are at every stage of building their own business, whether they're leaping from side hustle to self-employed or are already generating revenue and ready to level up. My goal is to draw out their biggest challenges and then, using a combination of advice, encouragement, and tough love, nudge them just a little closer to realizing their dreams. While I'm known for co-founding Netflix and serving as its first CEO, my career as an entrepreneur spans four decades. Netflix was actually my fifth startup, and since leaving there, I've had the opportunity to work with scores of early-stage companies and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs from all over the world. Along the way, I've picked up hundreds of tips, tricks, and secrets, which I'm eager to share with my listeners. Helping others move their ideas forward has become my life's passion. So if you've been told that will never work as much as I have, you've come to the right place. Together, will prove the naysayers wrong. In a world of dreamers and doers, today's guest combines the best of both. Kamar's a sneakerhead, he's a software engineer, and he's the founder of Flip, a peer-to-peer e-commerce site devoted to the world of high-end sneakers. With a team of five, Kamar has already amassed 80,000 users, but he's wondering now about how to take that even further. He came into our conversation with questions about his business model and building community. But what emerges is a more fundamental issue. Who is Kamar's business really for? It turns into a fascinating discussion about how Kamar can identify his ideal customer and how he can build his business from there. Have a listen. Kamar, hey, nice to meet you, and welcome to uh, That Will Never Work. I've been looking forward to this. Why don't you take a minute, tell me a little bit about what you're working on, and then maybe what I can help you with. I really appreciate you having me, Mark. So I'm a sneakerhead and a (laughs) software engineer. (laughs) So it's really interesting for me because I have two sets of different problems that I'm always trying to optimize for, making better products and then also getting the latest, greatest sneaker. But I'm not the only one, man. There's tons of people out there that actually collect sneakers, invest in sneakers. And I operate a marketplace that basically allows buyers and sellers to transact. I grew up originally from Brooklyn and East Atlanta. I was influenced by these things, sneakers, culture, basketball, music, and those things definitely drove a lot of my core passions and and stuff like that. The technology was just like a skill set I picked up along the way. So the first thing is I am kind of stodgy about this stuff. I think up until a few years ago, the sneakers and I wore were like the ones you buy at Costco. (laughs) So to me, even spending $120 on a pair of running shoes was obscene. But what I gather from sneaker collectors is these things go for thousands of dollars, that they're one-of-a-kind items. So give me a good sense of what we're talking about here in the sneaker world. Absolutely. So we're talking about the top end of the sneaker market. Like we're talking, you know, not really luxury designer. Those are great, but more so the limited edition stuff that Nike or Adidas or any of your favorite brands produce. They never meet demand seemingly, right? So they sell out in minutes. And then they basically get resold on the secondary market for 
upwards of hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. So don't take this the wrong way. Is it kind of like sneaker scalping? Yeah, that's one way to look at it. There's definitely one, one way to look at it. You know, I, I, I've had a lot of conversations with partners and investors and whatnot and finding analogous things in markets, like definitely ticket scalping. People kind of see the same kind of flip there. The analogy I was thinking about was basically you probably go to a store, you go to the Nike store and you stand in line at two o'clock in the morning so that when it goes on sale the next morning, you can buy one of the five pairs they have. And then you wait a few days and flip it. Am I picturing this or is this a more systematic process than that? That's what it used to be like probably in the late 90s, early 2000s. And <laughs> 2021 is vastly different. But yeah, you're right. There is a queue. There is a line. There is some centralized demand around a launch. People do camp out sometimes days, if not weeks in advance for it. And they are getting very limited pairs. Like you said, it could be five, it could be a tens, but they're instantly selling it right now. They're finding all these places to basically list sneakers. So I assume that you're not the guy who's out buying them you're actually more a marketplace, I think you said, where other people who've bought them come to the site to sell them or do you take ownership in them? So actually we do take ownership in them. We actually do buy a few strategic pairs under market value and we might be able to basically resell at a later time because some people might need that cash right now or liquidate their asset or their collection for an engagement ring. And what's the name of the site? It's called Just Flip. It's actually called Flip, but you can go to the site at justflip.com. Cool. So Just Flip, if I was to go, it sounds like basically there's going to be a wide selection of sneakers to choose from. And it, some of them are ones that you own. Some of them are being sold by other people. Is that right? Yep. Some of them are being sold by us and vast majority of them are being sold by other people or storefronts that operate with a bunch of resellable inventory. And it's more like an Amazon marketplace, for example, where you don't really know who you're transacting with, or in fact, is it like eBay, where it's very important to know who you're transacting with? It's a little bit of both. We have storefront partners that operate brick and mortar locations where they house these sneakers and they just need an online liquidation platform. So they come to us and they promote their brand and it gives them a cool way to engage with their following and build social and all that. But there are individuals that essentially might be a employee of a brand that has access to this product that doesn't want you to know who they are exactly, but uses an <laughs> alias, <laughs> but still transacts on our platform. We just want to make sure that the item is authentic and that the actual person receives it as described. And how long have you been doing this for? We've been live since 2016. Wow. And who is we? Do you have a team? Yeah, it's a very lean team. I'm actually a sole founder and I have about five other individuals on the team. There's split up across engineering and operations. And give me just a quick sense of scale. I don't know whether that's dollars or pairs of sneakers transacted or how big of a deal is this? So I think we're still on the radar. We've been heads down working out some technology on the authentication front because we've realized some things in the market in terms of increasing the speed of sale because we're a peer-to-peer -peer platform versus a ship-to-verify model. But right now we're literally at the 80,000 user mark and we're seeing total and probably sneakers... I would say for sure over 10,000 pairs have come through our hands of successfully authenticated products. 
when you use the term peer-to-peer, meaning that it is in some ways like an eBay where basically you just connect two people and someone transfers the money to them, but they send the sneakers to that person. It doesn't bounce through you or anything like that. Well, actually we handle the payment flow we okay. actually hold on to the payment so the actual buyer gets assured that they get the product in hand and be able to have inspection time to, to be able to flag for any kind of things like counterfeit. Wow. Okay. So what do you want to talk about today? What can I help you with? So like Mark, we've been exploring a few different things. I started this trying to fix this as for a problem with me specifically, and maybe some of my friends and scale out to maybe a wider community of individuals that share these same problem sets. But it's always interesting when you talk about community in the sense of building one and having your business speak to those things, right? And for us, there's no bigger notion around community. So we look at it in two different ways on like, how can we interact with our community? So we just actually recently launched this thing called Flip TV, which is curated sneaker content where you can like figure out what to buy, how to style, maybe even see like some of the latest history or storytelling around these products. That's really cool. And then there's another side of this where we actually look at the community and how do we make that happen for our business in a way that's organic, where we're able to give them the services and products they want at value that they necessarily would like. And one of our biggest things is transaction fees. So we've been looking at exploring a subscription model. So I actually wanted to talk to you about those two things. Subscription for a marketplace in sense of building that community and actually help managing and mitigating that risk of fraud and abuse that might happen, but also tying in the sense of we're looking at video content, user-generated content, influencer content, these assets that people are essentially like making more money on than the stock market. I totally hear you. And I think both of those are actually very related. So that's, this is a great topic for us to talk about. Let's take a person who's coming to the site as a buyer. They're looking to buy one. They come and they buy a pair of sneakers. Do they come back and buy another pair of sneakers later? And is that common? Yes, absolutely. Sometimes our offering is a little bit more on, I said, the rare side than what you can find on the market. Because again, these things are dead stock. It's all based on supply and demand and scarcity. So something that might be vintage, meaning from 10, 20 years ago, it is actually real, but there's not a huge market right now for that specific item. And we might run a strategic 90 minute auction for that item for our seller. They're using our feature. But what's interesting there is we can centralize that demand in our community around the individuals that might've been looking for that pair, right? That might be their grail that needed to complete their collection. That could be the one pair that got away when they were younger. And now that they can, you know, splurge, they'll love to actually own that pair. So, That happens all the time, Mark. And then we also have just individuals coming and chasing every single Nike or latest release drop every single weekend. Are the buyers and sellers the same? For example, if you look at a financial trading, someone bought in the same day, they're going to buy and they're going to sell and they're going to come back next day and sell what they bought and they're going to buy something new. Is that the same case here? I think there is definitely some overlap. I think there is, but I think there is a strict difference between somebody that's looking at this as a revenue source or a livelihood or actually trading at scale. So they're almost looking at it like as an investment. And then there's people that actually wear. So those are the consumers, which I think the other guys are kind of building for. So 
there are people that want to essentially, like you said, like invest and trade these things and, and look at it as an asset class. And then there are some people that just consume purely and they're just consumers that love the actual product. But there is some overlap, but I think there is a distinction between the both. Okay. Here's my thoughts. The subscription piece of it, I think is a subset of what I'm going to talk about. So we'll circle back to subscriptions because it gets folded in. It's so critical in any startup but I think it particularly in this one to have this really, really clear idea of who you're serving and then get to know in this deep way what it is they want. And the community ends up focusing on that. I know, of course, that you already think that way, but let me try and twist it just a teeny bit. And you may already be doing this, but to some degrees, your site may not be just about sneakers. It is really about the process of buying and selling sneakers, which is somewhat different because you could make this into a fan site. And I'm sure there's lots of fan sites. I'm sure there's lots of Instagram, TikTok websites, people who can tell you all the cool things that are happening. Do they reviews and all that? But it sounds like you're more commerce driven that you actually make revenue only when sneakers pass from one person to the other. Which means that I think the slight spin here is that this is about the transaction piece of it. That what you're all about is the market for sneakers. It's about buying, it's about selling, and a little bit less about collecting. So that as you're beginning to think through what are the components I use to support my community, I think you have to measure them against how directly do they impact that narrower niche for me? In other words, you have a lot of competition from people who are all about high-end sneakers, but maybe you're a little bit more differentiated when it says we're the ultimate platform for flipping shoes in one or the other, and that your content begins to focus more on that. Your features focus more on that. For example, rather than saying, here's some cool stuff that's coming out, yours go, here's what the price tracking has looked like. In other words, you're building this expertise in forecasting. You're doing a Jim Cramer-like thing for shoes, but it's not because of popularity, it's because it's all about transaction. And in terms of as you're prioritizing features, I mean, you've been an engineer for a long time and you know that there's always a hundred more things on the list of what needs to get built versus what you have the ability to build. And this key component of being a good product person is that feature prioritization. And I would absolutely, in your case, be prioritizing the features in your site, which go toward transaction ability. I love yeah. what you just kind of hinted at, which is allowing people to have wish list, allowing people to say, I've been looking for this my whole life. I have this deep emotional attachment and building in the quick notification systems, being able to build in the automatic tracking of, of what's happening with the prices. And on the site, you have what your inventory of shoes are, and you can go every day and look at the real-time market value of what you have. It's basically building stock tracking, but for sneakers. Of course, you do have to layer in all the emotional component, which is fundamentally people are doing this because they love this category. So you do need all of the feel-good pieces. Definitely. But I think there's a big opportunity here to be doubling down on this transactional component of it because you attract people who are the type that you make revenue from every time they sell or buy on your platform. And let's jump into subscription briefly. And the reason I said it's a subset is because I think you have to evaluate subscription based on, is it a feature that people would love who are transacting? And subscription businesses are fundamentally reliant on repeat behavior, that 
you subscribe to something because you do this mental calculation of how often you're going to use it. Your community piece is all about focused on people making it easier to transact, more interesting to transact. This is the place to come. It makes so much more sense to buy it and sell it here than it would to do it on eBay because I get all these other features. It would lend itself very nicely to something that people get recurring benefit from. Definitely. The thing that jumped into my head is it's Prime. I mean, it's like Amazon Prime, where basically you have these price points. Let's just use Amazon for a minute. Okay. Is it $99 a year? It's so part of my life. I think it's 120 now or something. Oh my gosh. But you see, that just goes to show. I don't even care. (laughs) Exactly, right? Because you go, oh my gosh, I use Amazon so frequently. Just the fact that I don't pay shipping, the fact that I get it the next day, I don't even care. 129 is a bargain. So I think for you, absolutely it makes sense. There's two pieces to this you could do. One is, of course, someone doing the math on it. And the big evolution, of course, in Netflix was a year and a half in all of a sudden realizing we could do subscription. But as you're playing with the price point, you've got to understand people are doing that math in their head. And video rental was an easy one because they'd go, okay, we're charging you at the beginning. We were a DVD by mail business. We're charging $14.95 for all the DVDs you can rent. And you could hear people from a hundred miles away. You hear their brains spinning as they're going, let's see, it's four bucks each time. So let's see, I have to do that. What is that? Oh, four? That's an easy break even for me. I rent more than four. Another business that I worked with for a while, and this is going to taint me, but I did it during the good years, was MoviePass. And at the beginning, MoviePass was $50 a month or some crazy number. The people did the math and they go, wow, that's a lot of movies. I don't watch that many movies. And so they had to drop the price down to one where people could do the math. So for you, you'll have that exact same problem based on how you price this. Is setting a price which is low enough that someone does the math and goes, oh my gosh, all I have to do is sell six pairs a year and I come out ahead. So that's a big piece of it. And then what usually happens is people's eyes are bigger than their stomach and that they end up using it a lot less than they thought they would, but they still like the service. So the second piece of subscription, and again, this ties in entirely into you having this deep, deep understanding of the transactional psyche of the sneaker buyer and seller is you begin adding on all of these non-economic considerations for being a flip it member or whatever you want to call your subscription program. For example, the market for limited edition things is by its very nature time sensitive. Having your flip club members, they get the email that something interesting just came on the market first. Wow, that's incredibly compelling. And a reason that you'd want to pay X dollars per month or X dollars per quarter or X dollars per year. And there's so many more things that you can add in. You could, for example, go every day, you can come on and get the general price trends. But for our specialized price trend report, that's only available for free, of course, to our uh, Flip Club members. It's basically kind of this freemium thing where you have these things on the site, which are all designed to make this an amazing place to understand how to do this. And then for these members they get a a little bit above and beyond. Even, for example, the people who do want to continually track the changing value of their own portfolio, that might be something that's only available for members. I mean, there's all these kind of things, but you can see it starts not with a subscription. It starts with having this very, very concentrated feeling about what are these core features that are going to appeal to how I position the company. And then once you have this list of features, it's fairly straightforward to say, let's begin taking a list of them and saying, these all go into the subscription program. But I absolutely can smell that this would be a really, really powerful way for you to accelerate what you're doing. Thank you, Mark. That makes so much sense. Like you said, we're looking at how we can best 
serve both the buyer and seller and keep those repeat transactions and ultimately build this real community that supports obviously the buying and selling of these things. But at the transactional layer, we're literally there. We've been able to build out the technology utilizing blockchain and actually be able to track and trace while provide real-time valuation on these assets. Well, Kamar, there's a couple of things that it's going to be tricky for you. And pardon me to type you, but engineer brain is somewhat different than marketer brain. Be careful of not getting buried too deep in the technical beauty of some of the things you're building. Definitely. And you're going to have to force yourself to bring yourself back up to the customer level. And especially the danger here, as you're looking at your customer set, is when you're trying to say, who is this feature for? How do I prioritize it? The best way to do that is to pick the center of your universe, which is the one perfect customer type, as opposed to viewing it as this mass of thousands of people and saying, well, who would it appeal? Are there enough people that, no, go, I have this ideal customer in mind and I have that picture in my head so strongly. And a lot of companies even write them down. They give them names. They'll go, my ideal customer is Mark. Mark is 26 years old. Mark owns 37 pairs. Mark sells and buys. Mark makes this amount of money. They make it very, very concrete. They build this persona of the ideal customer because then when they're evaluating the strength and weakness of a various product, they can picture would Mark like this or not. Yeah, they can see clearly the value adds, right? Correct. As opposed to getting confused about our customer, pick one. It doesn't mean it has to be black and white in that it's either in or out. You just measure how you want to prioritize this feature based on its distance from Mark. In other words, oh my God, he would use that tomorrow and he would use it every single day. Well, he might use this once a week or he'd use this once a month. When he did, it would be killer. It's kind of defining your market by its center not by its boundaries, which is a very powerful way to figure out who these are. And you might, in your case, to say, I actually have two. I have Mark, who's the collector. He never sells, he buys, but here's how often he buys. Here's what he's looking for. He spends three hours a day on eBay and he has 74 searches programmed. And then I have over here, I have Kamar. He's my day trader. Those are the two personas. And then you're going, okay, what features can I build which both of them would love? Which are the ones that Kamar would love? Which ones that Mark would love? There's other ones. Oh, these would be neat. And I know people would use it. No, 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 no. Focus on nailing your core of your market because then you know, if I get this right, there's a million marks out there and I can attract them if I build them for him. That's just a, a little tip on how to be a product guy, to be thinking about who am I building this community for? Who do I want in my community? And combining that whole feature set and the people part. I'm sorry, you can tell that when I get started, it's hard to shut me up. No, no, Mark, I'm, I'm loving every moment of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving every moment. Of it. I'm literally just taking it all in. And, and obviously it's giving me so much clarity and reassurance in some of the things that we're already doing, but definitely more clarity and laser focus, right? That's awesome. And like, for example, you can go back and do a little offsite with your employees and say, let's take a look at all the features we've built. Let's look at all the features we have on the horizon. What are the marketing programs? And let's evaluate them on this matrix. First of all, who is our core customers and how do these all fit? And you can go back and say, for example, Flip TV. You go, gosh, the resources that consumes, the dollars that consumes, the time, the attention, is that really targeted? Or are there some other things that I could do that might be more powerful or more compelling? And I'm not saying it is or isn't. I don't know. I'm just saying you can not only use it for prioritizing what you have going forward, it's almost more important to decide what not to do than it is to decide what to start doing. Absolutely. Wow. 
So Kumar, does this kind of put you on a slightly better path? Does this help you, I guess, answer some of these questions about this? This is exactly what I was looking for. I can't wait till we talk next time for the update, right? Like you never cease to amaze, Mark. You never cease to amaze. <laughs> well, the cool thing is, Kumar, the best companies are ones that have identified a niche which is so compelling that you can own it. That I know who these people are and there's no one else serving them and they are desperate for this set of features and you begin building it. And if you get that right, it gives you this platform to go into adjoining categories. As you know, there are absolutely other fervent adjoining communities of people who are crazy about collecting this types of things. I won't go into it because we could both name a whole bunch of them, but I love the fact that you're sticking to your knitting, as they say. You're focused on the shoe collector, shoe transactor, and you should. But I'm saying that once you get this right, all these exact same features, this exact same discipline will put you in a perfect position for in a couple of years and you lift your head up and go, okay, I think it's ready to go into two new categories. And your customers will tell you what those categories might even be. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> you brought something up. You said, when we talk next, and we are going to talk next because I am going to get back to you sometime in the future and find out where this went. And for those people who are listening to this, who I warned against going to your keyboard and distracting yourself by looking at the website, I will say in a few minutes, it'll be okay to go back and check out justflip.com. Thanks for the plug. Fantastic. And you'll be able to watch real time as Kamar begins building this into an even more powerful community for people who are passionate about sneakers. Well, Kamar, thanks so much. Listen, good luck with everything and keep on going. I love what you're doing. I love the fact that you're an engineering driven. I get too many people who are the marketing level dreamers who then have to get someone else to build it for them. So I love the fact that you can dream it and then you can build it. And that's a really powerful combination. Hey, thank you for all the kind words and having me, Mark. I look forward to definitely catching up in the future and, and more power to this awesome platform you're building. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Good luck. Bye-bye. As a layman in the world of high-end sneakers, I mean, I've been wearing ASICs running shoes for probably 30 years. It was a real joy to talk to Kamar about his platform and its current and potential users. His expertise as a user gives him the ability to envision a few customer archetypes. And his background as a software engineer allows him to clearly envision the features that will delight them. Next time we talk, I'll be excited to hear if his instincts were correct and if his customers are lapping up all the new features that Flip's subscription service has to offer. In the meantime, if you want to be a guest on That Will Never Work, I've made it really easy. Just go to markrandolph.com forward slash guest. Fill out the form and leave a voice message right there on the site. While you're there, Sign up to get my weekly entrepreneurial advice delivered right to your inbox. Or connect with me on Twitter at mbrandolph. Or on Instagram at thatwillneverwork. Or my newest attempt at denying my age on TikTok, where I promise you won't ever find me dancing without a shirt on. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to smash that like button and leave me a review at Apple Podcasts. I'll see you next time. Thank you.